This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back to the X One, everyone. We're still coming to you after 26 years from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send us an email, Exxon at exxonradiotv.com and all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And if you'd like to find out about the programming we have available for you, 724-365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Exxon Nation, my guest this hour is no stranger to the Exxon. William Federer is his name, and he's a nationally known speaker, best-selling author, and president of AmeriSearch, Inc., a publishing company dedicated to researching America's noble heritage. A former U.S. congressional candidate, Bill has appeared on C-SPAN, Fox, Hannity, and Combs, The O'Reilly Factor, NPR, MSNBC, ABC, Time, Warner, Affiliates, CBN, TBN, INSP, TCT, and it also, it sounds like a Campbell's Soup commercial for vegetable uh, soup, but it's not, and um, joining me now is William Federer, and Bill, welcome back to the Exxon, great having you with us again. Rob, great to be with you. Bill, as a former congressional candidate, what do you make about the political scene in Washington right now? Well, it's um, one of the campaign physicians on the different campaign staff is called Opposition Research, and they would do opposition on the opponent, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully to pull up some dirt that you could run commercials on uh, the week before the election and so forth. Well, it's been upgraded, so now they do opposition research on sitting politicians, yeah. and then they can pull it out when it comes time for a vote. And uh, some of these little clandestine meetings. If you vote the way we want, this will be buried. If you don't vote the way we want, well, then this will become public. And then it's up to another level when we find out that the previous president had used the assets of American intelligence to do opposition research on potential opponents, uh, from the IRS to, you know, all the CIA, FBI, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, and so basically, uh, this is you go to any third world country, uh, you know, and you go looking through history, the way dictators rule, and they rule by control uh, through fear and favor. You do what they say, uh, you get the, the estates, there may be a harem, if you don't do what they say, uh, you lose a hand or a leg or a head. Um, and so we're sort of moving back in that direction. And so that was the, the sort of the theme of my latest book, and the title is Who is the King in America and Who are the Consulars to the King? And 
I sort of go through an overview of world's history and point out how the most common form of government's a king. As the centuries go on, the king, kingdoms get bigger and bigger and bigger until finally the biggest was the King of England. Uh, the sun never set on the British Empire. America's founders, when they got the chance, they wanted to set up a government as far away from a king as possible. They flipped it and made the people the king. Unfortunately, after every crisis, we see this reconcentration of power back into the hands of fewer and fewer people uh, with the uh, ultimate fear of it you know, being back in the hands of one. Uh, to a certain degree, I feel like we've had a reprieve from that agenda, but it's still nevertheless in their game book and not just America, but globally. You know, Bill, I can't remember a time in recent history where there is such a such a mess politically around the world. Well, it is interesting. Uh, Pulitzer Prize winning historian Arthur Schlesinger Jr., he was on John F. Kennedy's staff. Mm -hmm. He said, history is to the nation as memory is to the individual. So if you've ever met an individual who's lost their memory, maybe they have Alzheimer's, they forgot who they are, they forgot who you are, they can be taken advantage of. Well, in a sense, we have national Alzheimer's, maybe even global Alzheimer's, <laughs> and we've uh, achieved so much freedom in the world, but we've forgotten how we got here. And as a result, we're letting it be taken away from us. You All right, Bill, a... I hate to do this, buddy, but I've got to take my first break. Exxon Nation, William Federer is our special guest, www.americanminute.com. And for all the great products that uh, Bill has available to you, once again, go to his website, click on the store, and away you go. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McCollinell. William Federer and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break from our broadcast center here in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Hello, I'm Pete Marsh. With my daughter Justina, we will be presenting the new radio show, Too Good to Be True. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. But with the help of Justina's amazing gifts, we're going to gain insight into questions that don't yet have complete answers. Have you wondered who built Stonehenge and for what reason? 
wire crop circles found in the same region as Stonehenge and elsewhere? Are crop circles a hoax or are they created with technologies that we have little knowledge of? Who built the pyramids in Egypt and also in other countries? How and why were they built? Was the Titanic switched with the Britannic as part of a gigantic insurance fraud or for more insidious reasons? What caused the Tunguska event when trees were flattened over an 800 square mile area in Siberia? Will the new insights be too good to be true? Well, that will depend on what you are prepared to believe. Please join us as we start on this journey together. For more information on Too Good To Be True, visit www.xzbn.net. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. Exxon Nation, uh, William Federer is our special guest this hour, AmericanMinute.com. And, uh, Bill, congratulations on your new book, Who is King in America and Who are the Counselors to the King? Um, and based on your title, would you put President Trump as King Trump? Um, well, uh, no, and, and I'll explain why. Uh, there's approximately 6,000 years of recorded human history. Mm-hmm. So writing was invented around three or 4,000 B.C., Sumerian cuneiform on clay tablets in the Mesopotamian Valley. Today, that's Iraq. I was actually in the Pergamum Museum in Berlin, and they have all this ancient Assyrian, mm. ancient Egyptian, ancient Roman. Uh, they have the Babylonian Gate with the, uh, the different glazed bricks that are just as shiny as they were 600 B.C. Wow. Uh, but it's all there. But right on the wall, they have writing was invented around 3300 B.C., uh, Egyptian hieroglyphics were invented around 3000 BC. Chinese characters, uh, their pictograms, were invent- invented by the Yellow Emperor on bamboo annal books around 2600 BC. But it, you round it out, three or 4000 BC, and we're around 2000 AD. That's around five or 6,000 years of recorded history. Uh, human beings writing down human records. Franklin Roosevelt said 5,000 years of recorded history have proven that mankind has always believed in God in spite of the many abortive attempts to exile God. Uh, Richard Overy wrote The Times, Complete History of the World. It's this big book. He says no date appears before the start of human civilizations around 5,500 years ago and the beginning of a written history. Uh, There's a quote from Daniel Webster, Secretary of State from New Hampshire in the early 1800s. He says, miracles do not cluster, and what has happened once in 6,000 years may not happen again. Hold on to the Constitution, for if the American Constitution should fail, there will be anarchy throughout the world. And so he thought 6,000 years and how unique America was. Well, if you look at it, 6,000 years is not that long. It's only 60 people living 100 years each back to back. Everyone's met someone who's lived 100 years, maybe a grandmother or close to it. We're talking 60 grandmothers, and you're all the way back to the beginning of recorded human history. It's not that long. But since we have these 6,000 years of records, what do they show? They show that power keeps wanting to concentrate into the hands of one person. And there's the Bible story of Nimrod, Tower of Babel. 
the uh, Jewish commentary said Nimrod wanted to build the tower so high that if God destroyed the world again with a flood, he could survive on top. Uh, but it was sort of this defiant, in-your-face attitude toward God. The Bible story goes that God came down, confuses the languages, and they scatter. But it's his first illustration of concentrated power, uh, defiant against God, and then separating, scattering the power. And if you've ever seen the movie The Terminator with Arnold Schwarzenegger, sure. there's a scene in there of a uh, metal robot killer from the future, and it's mm-hmm. chasing after him, and they blow it to bits. And everybody in the audience sighs relief. But then these little metal bits melt into little silvery balls, and then they roll together into this silvery pool, and out of the pool comes the hand of the Terminator, and he comes out, and he starts chasing them again. You're like, how do we get rid of this thing? It's like every generation wants to rebuild the Tower of Babel, and they want to concentrate this power, and instead of it, Nimrod, it's a Pharaoh, a Caesar, a Kaiser, a Sultan, and Tsar. And, and so if, if you've ever seen a Nautilus shell, uh, the little shell that has the circle, and then it comes around with a little bigger circle, and it comes mm-hmm. around with a little bigger, bigger circle. Yep, yep. Well, when you track these empires, that's the way they are. So the first, you know, first they had cities with walls around them, like Gilgamesh was the king of Uruk around 2500 B.C. But then you have the first empire, Sargon of Akkadia, conquers from the Persian Gulf to the Mediterranean around 2250 B.C. And then you have 2,000 years of Egyptian pharaohs, and then you have 5,000 years of Chinese emperors, and then you have Indian maharajas. Raja means king, maha means great, right? And then you have the uh, Cyrus of Persia and Darius. They had the largest empire, and then Alexander the Great conquers it. He has the largest empire. And then the Romans conquer him. They have the largest empire. And then Attila the the Hun conquers, and he has the largest. And then you have the Byzantine emperors and the Muslim sultans, and they conquer from the Persian Gulf to the Atlantic Ocean. And then you got Genghis Khan, conquers from Korea to Hungary around 1200 A.D., uh, and it's the largest contiguous land empire in world history. But then you go to the maritime empires, and you have Spain, the sun never set on the Spanish Empire, and Portugal, and France, but ultimately the king of England had the largest empire that the planet had seen. The sun never set on the British Empire. They had, he had all of India, a quarter of the world's population right there, Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, British Guyana, Canada, and America. He was like a globalist, right? I mean, he wanted this global. And so it's the same uh, thing that was in Nimrod, but it just keeps repeating itself. And you have good kings that want to concentrate power because they want to do good things with it, but they turn it over to their son, who's a rotten king, and now you're back to, you know, some some Ivan the Terrible type of thing. And so um, anyway, uh, when uh, I think this idea of – now clearly there's a global goal in mind. And if it wasn't for death – one of these dictators would have had the whole world under their thumb by now. And so that sense, death is a, is a blessing, you know. And, um, and the problem is, is each of us has that dictator DNA inside of us. You think uh, you do? Yeah, think of it. So let's say um, you got to be the king or maybe someone in the listening audience. And you think, okay, I'm going to be really good. Things are going along fine until you have a sister with a teenage son. He drinks and drives and parties, and he hits somebody with the car and kills him. Now this teenager is facing manslaughter, mandatory prison, and your sister comes begging to you and says, you're not going to let my little Johnny rot in jail, are you? I would. What are you going to say to your own sister? I, I'd uh. say let him rot in jail. <laughs> well, you'd be a good king. But a lot of people would say, okay, sister, I'll let, let little Johnny off the hook this time, but don't let it happen again. Bill, I'm going to tell, tell you a secret. Oh, it's not a secret. It's, it's, it's a truth. I gave my mother a speeding ticket when I was a cop. <laughs> you break the law, you suffer the consequence. There you go. Well, you'd, you'd be a, a great king. Um, but anyway, uh, in, in most people, the human nature, sort of like the Lord of the Rings, where Gandalf tells Frodo, always mm-hmm. remember, Frodo, the ring is trying to get back to its master. It wants to be found. Power wants to concentrate. Uh, I think it goes back to the, you know, in the Bible, it has the story of, of uh, Adam and Eve sinning and selfishness mm-hmm. coming into the human DNA and Cain killing Abel. And so it's just basically one king taking a kingdom from another king. And it's a pull of a magnet. It's like a law of gravity. It wants to pull that satellite. So you put some babies in a playpen. One takes the rattle from the others. You put some kids in a playground. One takes is the bully hog in the yep. ball. You put some junior high girls in a clique. One of them is the diva. You put some people in the woods, one of them is the Indian chief. You put them in an inner city, one of them is a gang leader. And in a sense, all the king is, is a glorified gang leader. It's a hierarchical system where if you are friends with the king, you are more equal. 
If you are not friends with the king, you are less equal. And if you're an enemy of the king, you're a slave or you're dead. It's called treason. Or if you're the director of the FBI and you don't go along with the president, you get fired. (laughs) And so it's this hierarchical system, and it Mm -hmm. repeats itself, whether it's the Incan emperors, whether it's the Chinese emperors, whether it's the, the, the communist dictators. People say, well, a communism, isn't that where everybody owns everything equally? Let's think a little deeper. Who decides who lives in the nice house and who lives in the dumpy house? Uh, Somebody in the government dictates those things. Well, whoever ultimately dictates those things is Mm -hmm. the dictator. And so every communist country has a dictator. Stalin, Pol Pot, Ho Chi Minh, North Korea has Kim Jong-un, right? And so, so whatever you call it, it's still the same. Power wants to concentrate into the hands of one person. And so... Uh, they would, these leaders would want to claim they were divinely appointed. Um, the Egyptian emperors uh, claimed to be the son of the god Osiris. The uh, Chinese emperors claimed to have a mandate from heaven. Uh, the Indian Maharajas claimed to be semi-divine. The Roman emperors demanded that their image be worshipped. The Incan emperors claimed to be delegates of the sun god. The Japanese emperors claimed to be divine. And Mm -hmm. then they Christianized it in Europe and called it the divine right of kings. God chose me to be the king, so whatever my will is must be God's will because he put me here, so I can pretty well do anything I want. And so you have King Louis XIV, the sun king. He had this global empire that included, you know, Canada and uh, Middle America, everything west of the Appalachians. He had British or he had uh, French Guyana and French Indonesia and all these countries. And so Louis the Fourteenth says, "I am the state." Another place, Louis the Fourteenth, he, he called himself the Sun King because his subjects were planets that revolved around him. He says, "It is legal because I wish it." Well, that's easy. The law is nothing more than the king's will forced down the pyramid. And then King James I of England, he says, kings are God's lieutenant, sit upon God's throne. The king is the overlord of the whole land, master over every person, having power over the life and death of everyone. So it took centuries before America was given the chance to break away from a king. And when the founders got the chance, they wanted to set up a government as far away from a king as possible. They flipped it and made the people the king. And so Governor Morris, a signer of the Constitution, says the magistrate is not the king, the people are the king. John Jay was the first chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. He said the people are the sovereign of this country. Uh, Abraham Lincoln said the people are the rightful masters of both Congresses and courts. Um, Thomas Jefferson said the Supreme Court justice says there must be an ultimate arbiter somewhere. True, there must. The ultimate arbiter is the people. And so we see that that was the effort of America to try to take the power of a king and flip it. It was a polarity change. Instead of it being a top-down form of government, it was wanting to be a bottom-up form of government. And what I found interesting is when you read through the writings of these founders, where did they get the idea to do this thing? Well, they did get some from the Roman Republic, which had 600 senators from about you know, 527 B.C. up until uh, Julius Caesar, around 45 B.C. And, um, uh, it, but, you know, Caesar found a way to usurp power, make himself dictator for life. The founders did get some ideas from ancient uh, Greece, which was a republic, I mean, sorry, a democracy. And then, but they ultimately got the ideas from ancient Israel. And to me, this was the most interesting part of my research is that around 1400 B.C., Israel comes out of Egypt. They had been slaves for 400 years, and they are the first nation in recorded history with no king. So they, Egypt had a pharaoh, uh, China, Chinese emperors, right? They, they had uh, emper, emperors. Um, and then, of course, in Macedonia or Mesopotamia, they had you know the King Og of Bashan and all these different kings. But wasn't so Je- Israel this anomaly? They they don't have a king for four hundred years. But wasn't Jesus the king of the Jews? Well, you're fa- fast forward in the head uh, oh, fourteen hundred years from when they come out of Egypt, and so so the 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 in my discussion, the first four hundred years from fourteen hundred BC before they got King Saul around one thousand BC, mm-hmm. that was unique, and. Um, so the, uh, uh, the law that Israel got said there's no respect of persons in judgment. Rich or poor, everyone's the same. Male, female, made in the image of the Creator. There was no, uh, no royal family to butter up next to for 400 years, right, before they got King Saul. And so this is literally the beginning of the concept of equality on planet Earth. 
that everyone you see is equal to you. There's no royal family to butter up next to. There's no caste system that you were born into and stuck. Uh, the Jews had it. Even the stranger living amongst them was under the same law that they were under. Bill, stand by. I've got to take my news break at the bottom of the hour. Exonation. William Federer is our special guest. www.americanminute.com. This is the Exon. I am Rob McConnell. Bill and I will be back after this news break. Don't go away. are our personal gateways into infinite wisdom. Don't miss Shamanic Counselor and Indigenously Trained Dream Decoder Sandra Corcoran's inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening Between the Dark and the Daylight. This remarkable work chronicles Sandra's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers and her initiations throughout the Americas and across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt. Sandy's knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth influenced her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private tarot readings, international journeys, a meditative CD, as well as her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate this earthwalk, creating a deeper connection to yourself and all that is. Find this and more at Sandy's website, starwalkervisions.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today, Know the Name, Know the Person, or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Hello, I'm Justina Marsh, and with my dad, Pete, we are going to present a new show called Too Good to Be True. Together, we are aiming to discover more truths about this world and beyond. Do you have unanswered questions about the world? Do you ever wonder about aliens, conspiracy theories, or the universe? There are many shows discussing subjects such as pyramids or UFOs, but we want to relay this information based on our own research, including from spiritual means. Hopefully, listeners will be helped with their own beliefs and will appreciate the psychic insights that add to the previous research and information. We both look forward to sharing this insight and beginning this journey with our listeners. Visit xzbn.net for more information about when to listen.
Welcome back, everyone. William Federer is our special guest, www.americanminute.com. Okay, so we're up to the point where King Solomon is now the king of the the Jewish people. Uh, So please, continue. Well, actually, um, uh, King Solomon comes into the scene about 1000 B.C., uh, but I was just wanting to focus a little bit more on what happened uh, from 1400 sure. B.C. to 1000. So um, you see uh, that Israel is the first nation that we mm-hmm. have record of that ruled itself without a king. Matter of fact, when the U.S. Constitution was written, it needed to be ratified by nine states. They had eight, and New Hampshire was in line to be the ninth, but New Hampshire was having a problem. And so the Harvard president, Samuel Langdon, comes and gives an address titled the Republic of the Israelites, an example to the American states. Instead of the 12 tribes of Israel, we may substitute the 13 states of the American Union and see this application plainly. After his address, New Hampshire delegates vote and ratify, and since they're the ninth state, to do so, the U.S. US Constitution goes into effect after this sermon. So what was this Republic of the Israelites? So for these uh, 400 years, there's no king, everyone's equal. Mm -hmm. Ancient Israel is the first nation with private land ownership. You see, wherever there's a king, you never really own the land. It's always conditional of you staying on the nice side of the king. That's right. You cross the king, he will take away the land and kill you. And so in Israel, the land was permanently titled to the families. If they got in a pinch and sold it, every 50 years it reverted back to the family. Uh, This was... um, preventing a dictator from gathering up the land, putting the people back into slavery. If you can own land, you can accumulate stuff. The Bible called that being blessed. Karl Marx called it being a capitalist, right? So they called it the promised land because the people actually got ownership to the land. Ancient Israel was the first nation with no police. Hmm. Everyone was taught the law. Everyone enforced the laws, like everybody was deputized. Ancient Israel had no standing army. You have a king, he has an army to enforce his will. In ancient Israel, every man was in the militia and armed and ready at a moment's notice to defend his family and his community. Ancient Israel had no prisons. Um, remember the story of Joseph wasting away in prison in Egypt? And, yes. Well, in, um, in ancient Israel, the law says no prisons and immediate justice. A crime's committed, you get the guy, you bring him to the gates of the city, you get the elders together, and you have the trial right then and there. Um, and, of course, there's a city of refuge that you could run away to to await a trial, but there was no prisons. Sanctuary Ancient. cities were even back then. Pardon? Sanctuary cities even back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then ancient Israel had a bureaucracy-free welfare system. Mm. So in Egypt, people were selling their souls to the Pharaoh for a handout of grain. In ancient Israel, when someone harvested their field, they left the gleanings for the poor people to pick through. This way, the poor were taken care of without some political leader collecting everything and doling it back out to those who can help them stay in power. Ancient Israel had a system of honesty. God hates unjust weights and measures. This became the basis for commerce. You could trust people you do business with. Ancient Israel, the people got to choose their own leaders of their cities and their tribes. So Deuteronomy 1, Moses spake unto the children of Israel, How how can I myself alone bear your burden? Take you, wise men, and understanding, and known among your tribes. Bring them to me, and I'll make them your leaders. This was an election process within the tribe. So anybody could be raised up into leadership. You know, Gideon was from a nobody family. Uh, There's a story of Deborah. A woman becomes a leader in Israel, not because she's related to a pharaoh. She knows the law. She's honest. The reputation spreads. She sits under a tree. People make their way all the way across the country to let her hear the, the cases and judge them. Where else in the world could a woman do this who's not related to anybody in that, in that period of time in history? Anyway, and I found this probably one of the most interesting things. Ancient Israel was the first nation where everyone could read. In Sumeria, mm-hmm. at the time, they had 1,500 cuneiform characters, right? Take a stick and poke it in clay. But it was only for kings and scribes to keep track of everything the king owned. It was an accounting method. So the first invention ever was the plow. 
The Bible says that Cain was a tiller of the soil. And then people started hitting each other with it, and they turned into weapons. And then people gravitated together for protection. And when you get people together, something happens. One ends up being a little bit better fighter than the rest, and they say, you be our captain. And it's good. You defend yourselves and you survive. But then this person has kids and grandkids and great-grandkids who claim to be an elite class. My great-granddad's one. We're all indebted. And it turns into this heretical monarchy where you got the king that owns everything. And he wants to count all that he owns. In China, the emperor developed a way of counting with knots in ropes. In Sumeria, they originally had an abacus, where those little rods and your Mm -hmm. beads, you'd slide back and forth, you know. And then they, Sumeria developed tokens in dishes, a little dish, a little clay token, and they'd markings in the tokens. And uh, then they would they ever tally where you draw the lines down, one, two, three, four, then a line across for five. That was the beginning of writing. There were little markings of accounting for the, the king. And, um, and in Egypt, they had 3,000 hieroglyphic characters. Wow. Again, only for the pharaohs and scribes. It was the scribes' secret knowledge. They kept the hieroglyphs complicated on purpose as job security. Um, The archaeologists estimate 1% of the Egyptians could read. Uh, In China, they had 10,000 characters, only for court records. What's interesting, when Moses came down the mountain, he did not just have the law. He had the law in a 22-character alphabet, not 1,500 characters or 3,000 or 10,000 Chinese characters. He had the law in a 22-character alphabet. It was so easy to learn children could learn it. No longer was reading and writing some secret knowledge held by the scribes and the upper class. Everyone could read. So ancient Israel is the first instance in history where you have a literate populace. And so we begin to see that uh, it's a spectrum of power. One side is a king Mm -hmm. who rules through fear and favor. You do what he says, he gives you the the estates and the land, makes you a sir or a knight, and if you don't do what he says, you get hanged. The other side of the spectrum, so one side's total government, the other side's no government. Uh, The no government side is is anarchy, unless the people have internal morals. It's like everybody has a behavioral app on their iPhone, right, like an Uber app or something. Everybody (laughs) has this internal moral to tell them how to act. But wait a second, why would you follow an internal moral? What would cause you to deny yielding to a selfish temptation? Well, ancient Israel had a key ingredient, a God who is watching everyone. He wants you to be fair, and he's going to hold you accountable in the future. So you're about to steal. Nobody's around. You know you can get away with it. And then you think, God is watching me. He wants me to be fair. He's going to hold me accountable. Maybe I should hesitate stealing. (laughs) And it creates something in your head called a conscience. If everybody in the country believes this, You can have complete order with no police, maximum liberty. Now, it only works with the God of the Bible. An Islamic Allah God says there's an infidel woman there. You can rape her. It's okay. right? The God of the Bible says do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Anyway, so Israel's system worked as long as the priests taught it. What do I mean? Well, at the beginning of my talk tonight, I talked about how this selfishness was implanted in human nature. And everyone's born with it. It's sort of like, imagine every computer you buy is preloaded with a virus, and you have to immediately take it over to the Geek Squad desk, right, and have them clean the virus off. It's like every kid is born preloaded with selfishness, and the Israelites would take the kid to the Levite priest and say, look, recode this kid. And the Levite would say, okay, kid, you want to steal? Don't steal. You want to lie? Don't lie. You want to commit adultery? Don't commit adultery. God's watching. He's going to hold you accountable in the future. And so as long as the priest taught it to every brand new generation, Israel's system worked. But when the priest stopped teaching the law, it fell apart. And so at the end of this 400-year period, uh, the story is that Eli, the high priest, his own sons were sleeping with women in the very tent of meeting with the Lord, right, where the Ark of the Covenant was. Oh, boy. He's the main guy that's supposed to be teaching the law. His own sons don't even follow it. And then there's a story of a Levite in a house of a guy named Micah who had 30 pieces of silver. And he makes himself a graven image, and, the, and he, the Levite needs a place to stay. And this guy says, hey, you can come stay at my house. You can be a priest for me. I got my idol here. And then the tribe of Dan takes the guy and the graven image, and they say, hey, you can be a, a priest for our whole tribe. And, 
And while you're reading the story, you're scratching your head thinking, what's this Levite doing with a graven image? Isn't it one of the important commandments? You're not supposed to have those. It shows the priests were no longer teaching the law. And then there's the terrible story of a Levite with a concubine. The law says the Levite's to marry a virgin of his own tribe. Here he is with the woman not even married to, shows he's no longer keeping the law. They're traveling. They're at a house, and they're surrounded by sodomites who bang on the door. The Levite shoves the poor girl out. She gets raped and dies. The next day, he chopped her body in 12 pieces, sent it to the 12 tribes. They come together and kill the sodomites. And by the time you're grossed out, you read this line that says, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Why did they all do what was right in their own eyes? Because the priests had stopped teaching them what was right in the Lord's eyes. And this whole system crumbles. Everybody yields to their chaotic selfishness, and it turns into domestic discord, and they all go to Samuel the prophet. And they say, this is not working anymore. We want to be like all the other countries. We want a king. Samuel cries, and the Lord tells him, they did not reject you. They rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So they get King Saul, and uh, there's a story of Saul uh, pouting that his son, Jonathan, made a league, a treaty with, with David. And Saul said, nobody cares about me. And this guy named Doeg the Edomite says, I care. I saw David go to this one city. They gave him uh, the sword of Goliath, and they gave him some bread in the cities where all the priests were. And uh, uh, Saul says, bring the priests here. Turns to his men, says, kill the priests. The men hesitate. Doeg says, king, I'll kill them. And he kills them all. What just happened? The soldiers had been operating under the old system, where everybody is accountable to God to follow the law. The law says you need two or more witnesses before you kill somebody. All they had was one, Doeg. Well, uh, they're still following their personal accountability to this God. Doeg says, King, I'm going to surrender my conscience to you. You tell me to kill, I'll kill. And so kings ultimately want the conscience of their followers. They want yes-men. They don't want you to think. They don't want you to have morals. They don't want you to, they, they want you to give up your deeply held religious convictions. They just want yes-men. Anyway, so Israel's system collapsed. And um, anyway, I, I bring out the point is that America's founders look back to this period in um, history uh, as an example of how we can have a government without a king. All right, Bill, stand so by. We're going to take our final break at this point. ExoNation William Federer is our special guest, www.americanminute.com. And we'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, across Europe on Euro Radio TV, and on iHeartRadio. Don't go away. I'm gonna lose it anyway. Hi everyone, Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. But the question has always been, how do you do it? Well now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you. They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, this product is a real winner. To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www.xzbn.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net.
Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. William Federer is our very special guest, a good friend of the Exxon. And if you'd like to find out more about Bill, his great books that he has available to you, if you want to learn, be enlightened, www.americanminute.com. Okay, so we've got the the founding fathers who are now looking at Israel and saying, hmm, all right, so where did it all go wrong? Well, uh, it's interesting. Okay, here's King George III. He was yeah. the most powerful man on the planet. All of India, Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, Canada, and America. And uh, America's founders decide they want to basically have a polarity change, have a bottom-up form of government rather than a top-down form of government. And uh, there's a quote from uh, Theodore Roosevelt. He says, In no other place and at no other time has the experiment of government of the people, by the people, and for the people been tried on so vast a scale as here in our own country. And so a republic is the people are king ruling through representatives. And so uh, a democracy is the people are king ruling directly, right? So in Athens, everybody every day had to go to the market and talk politics. And if you didn't show up for a couple days, you were called an idiotus, an idiot. You didn't know what was going on. But 
if you're not there every day, it falls mm-hmm. apart. And then you have to, as the city grows and you can't go, you got to rely on people to tell you what they're talking about down there and then rely on people to take what you want back to there. And so what happens is the mediator, mediator becomes the, uh, the king, so the, basically the media. And so the media tells the people oh, what they need to know and what they don't need to know, and they can slant it one way or the other, so it falls apart. A republic is you take care of your family and your farm. And you have someone you trust go to the market every day and talk politics. They are your representative. And so uh, that's the idea that the uh, America was to be a representative for. So we pledge allegiance to the flag and to the republic for which it stands. When somebody dishonors the flag, what they're saying is, I don't want to be the king anymore. It's like, okay, somebody <laughs> else will rule your life. Um, and so we look at it. Imagine visiting a king. Maybe in the Old Testament, you're going okay. through the streets of Jerusalem, and maybe you're witnessing murder, rape, and crime, and you get into the king's chamber, and he has his head in his hand. He looks all worried up, and he looks at you, and he says, did you see all that terrible crime coming in here? I wish somebody would fix it. And you, like, reach over, tap him on the shoulder, say, excuse me, you're the king. This is your kingdom. Uh, you're the one accountable to God to fix this mess. That's like somebody in America watching TV, seeing all the terrible stuff going on, saying, I wish somebody would fix it. Hello, reach through the TV tube and reach through the radio speaker and tap you on the shoulder. You're the king. Exactly. You're the one accountable to God to fix this mess. Well, well, I need somebody to tell me what to do. Since when does the king sit on his throne and say, can somebody tell me what I'm supposed to do here? Hey, Butler, come here. What am I supposed to do? No, it's your job to to seek and educate Mm -hmm. yourself and and pray and, and get the direction. And you tell your representatives what needs to be done. And uh, James Wilson was a signer of the U.S. Declaration. He says, every citizen forms a part of the sovereign power. He possesses a vote. So not to vote is to abdicate the throne. And um, and now this is, uh, I thought, interesting in America. Uh, the Pew Forum, P-E-W, Pew Forum does surveys and uh, on the religious views. Well, the one they recently finished says that 70% of Americans identify themselves as Christian. Now, 20 years ago, it was 90%, so it's obviously going down, but 70% still a majority, and they could turn any election any way they wanted. And so uh, 70% identify as Christian. Well, that means they're going to church, which makes the pastors in America, in a sense, counselors to the king, right? There's um, a story... uh, of um, Theodosius. He was the Roman emperor after Constantine. So Constantine, 313 AD, legalizes Christianity. Well, Theodosius comes along. He's a Christian Roman emperor. He's going to church in Milan, Italy, and the pastor is St. Ambrose. And the thought is, what would it be like being St. Ambrose with the emperor in your church on Sunday? Guess what? That's exactly what we have in America, right? Seventy, per- The people are king. Mm-hmm. 70% of them are Christian, or identify that way, and that means they're listening to pastors every Sunday, or every at least a, every couple Sundays. You sure. know, but but it's this idea that you have two type of pastors. One says, "Go to sleep, shirk your responsibility, don't don't get involved." Another throws a bucket of ice water on his congregation and says, "Wake up! You don't just have the right to vote in America. You're going to be held accountable uh, to God for what happens." And I um. Uh, I like the movie The Lord of the Rings, Yes, and there's a scene in there of a King Theodon, and he has his spell cast on him. He's got gray hair, gray eyes, his gray fur coat, and he's like cataracts. He's like really out of it, <laughs> just sort of scrunched in his throne. And he has two counselors in this scene. One is this greasy guy named Wormtongue. And he's whispering in the king's ear, stay asleep. Yes, your kingdom's being overrun, but just sleep a little bit more, and it's all going to be over. And then there's another counselor to the king, Gandalf, and he comes in and casts the devil out of the king. And right before your eyes, the king starts to wake up. And his eyes get clear, and his hair gets blonde, and it gets shorter. And he looks around, and he says, dark have been my dreams of late. It's like, yeah, you've been out of it with this spell cast on you. And um, so in America, the people are the king, and 70% of them are Christian. are going to church, and they got uh, you know, one set of church leaders to say, I go to sleep, don't get involved. Another one says, wake up. You're going to be held accountable to what ha- for what happens. And even Martin Luther King Jr. says the church is the conscience of the state. Right? It's supposed to be speaking about stuff. So here's a quote from John Jay. He was the first chief justice of the Supreme Court. 
He says the Americans are the first people whom heaven has favored with an opportunity of choosing the forms of government under which they should live. All other constitutions have derived their existence from violence or accidental circumstances. But Bill, how is that going to change with the current immigration laws and the the quest for uh, Sharia law to be instated in the United States like it's being tried to be instated here in Canada as well as throughout the rest of the world? Right. Very good point. Um, uh, we see, uh, you know, kingdoms, empires, they go through three stages, expanding, yeah. uh, maintaining, and contracting. And so uh, the Roman Empire, at its peak, um, uh, you know, was conquering and living off the people it conquered. Then Hadrian built its wall. But then it began to be invaded with illegal immigrants, right? China yeah. builds the Great Wall of China, and, and the Huns can't raid into China, so they turn west, start the domino effect to displace tribes. The Visigoths, Ostrogoths, Anglo-Saxons, Jutes, Lombards, they come across the Roman border first slow, mm -hmm. and they learn the Latin language and assimilate. But then they come so fast, they keep their own language and own culture, and they, you know comes up with the German, French, English languages. Yeah. But the Roman Empire uh, cannot absorb them, and it, it collapses. I tell people, think of how much food you eat in a year. Imagine if I were to make you eat that in a day. You would die. And so you only eat the food as fast as your body can assimilate it. And so how many immigrants do you bring in? As many as you can assimilate. But once they come in so much, it, like the Roman Empire, yeah. it's, it's, the, it's the beginning of the end of your civilization. It seems that we as a race have yet to discover, well, the vast majority have yet to discover, that in order to know how this world will proceed, we have to look back in history and start learning, and learning fast, or else we're doomed to fail. You know, um, anyone that looks at European history can see a trend. Mm -hmm. Europe went from a Judeo-Christian past, right? Used to be all Catholic with yeah. the Re Protestant Reformation, and then Jewish neighborhoods all around. There's cathedrals all across Europe. But then Europe went into a secular neutral with the French Revolution, Right? They turned churches into temples of reason, and Robespierre and Napoleon spreads this French secularism all around Europe, and they have tolerance. They tolerate everybody, and then they tolerate more and more, and tolerate the LGBT and so forth. And now it's the tolerance is saying, hey, bring in anything you want. Well, in comes Sharia law Islam, and it's slamming the car into reverse. And now the number one name for newborns in London, Milan, and Brussels is Mohammed. There's rapes yep. on the streets of Cologne. Uh, you know, the... The Europeans are scratching their heads, thinking, how did we get here? Well, you went from drive, neutral, and diverse. You went from a Judeo-Christian to the secular, and now it's going into an Islamic future. And so, in a sense, the LGBT agenda is a transition phase. It's not a permanent phase. Uh, it's a transition phase, cutting ties with the Christian past, but it's quickly co-opted by an Islamic future. So it is a, a, a serious uh, situation that uh, those of us who want to preserve Western civilization are in. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, it's frightening, and uh, I, I hate to say it, but thanks to the advent of the Internet, it's spreading that much faster. Well, I will throw in uh, a quote from Ronald Reagan. He says, uh, again, talking about America, mm -hmm. in this great country of ours took place the greatest revolution that has ever taken place in the world's history. Every other revolution simply exchanged one set of rulers for another. He said, here, for the first time in all the thousands of years of man's relation to man, I threw out the 6,000-year number here, he says, the Founding Fathers established the idea that you and I had within ourselves the God-given right and ability to determine our own destiny. It's not some king telling you where to live and what to dress. It's not some caste system that you were born into and stuck. It's not some your usefulness to the state depends uh, is, is how your worth is, is valued. No, you got these rights from a creator, and um, you have the right and ability to determine how you're going to use them. It's a great inheritance that Western civilization has gotten, and uh, hopefully we can hang on to it. Bill, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Always a great pleasure. Don't be a stranger, and I look forward to the next time that you and I meet back here in the Exxon. Until then, be well, my friend. Thank you, Rob. Exonation. William Federer has been our guest. www.americanminute.com. I'll be back on the other side of this news break at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. <laughs>